0: Not only has been a great week, but it has been the precursor to an even greater week ahead. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so we'll just dive right into the Word this morning. We're in our season of Mr. and Mrs. Betterhalf in the Elevation Church, and I'm trusting God with the foundations that um, we lay in this month. That you will see God's hand moving in the relationships in your life, not only with your spouse but even with your colleagues at work, with your neighbors in your, you know, in your vicinity where you live. Because you see these principles, um, they're mighty and they're powerful through God. Um, The Bible says that when a man's ways are pleasing, you know, um, to God, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. There's something about understanding the principles for sustained and healthy relationships that has a way of spilling over into all the relationships around you. And I trust God that if you've been dealing with a particularly naughty, a particularly difficult relationship in your life, um, that in this season, there will be an anointing and there will be a grace to move that relationship forward in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So, Mr. and Mrs. Better Half, um, today we're talking about repairing interactions in relationships. And we've titled this message, Mr. and Mrs. Fix It. You know, and I'll just run straight into it. I'll just dive right in with um, a fable. Um, It's one of the fables of Aesop. Um, Very old, but um, it's a great place to start this discussion this morning. Now, there's a fable um, story that um, has it that the north wind and the sun were engaged in an argument one day. And they were both arguing about who was the most powerful or who was the most, you know, intimidating. And the North Wind, of course, boisterous and tempestuous, you know, um, was bragging and boasting that, look, he could make anyone do anything. He's all powerful. But the Sun was like, okay, great, let's have this challenge. And they saw a traveler coming on the way. And they agreed that who, whichever of them, was powerful enough and strong enough to get the traveler to take his coat off, would be acknowledged as the strongest of them both. And immediately, they both went into action. The north wind began to huff and to puff and to blow. And interestingly enough, the more the north wind blew, the heavier the gale, the more intense the wind became. The traveler just continued to hold his coat even tighter. The more he tried to pull that coat off of him and to strip the coat off of him, the tighter the traveler, you know, huddled in his jacket. He did that on and on and on and on. And eventually um, it was the sun's turn and the sun was like, okay, great, my turn. And all the sun did was to come out and shine so warmly, just shined so brightly. And a bit of sweat appeared on the traveler's forehead. And then another one. And without struggling, and without fighting, as it were, or expending so much energy, here was the traveler taking off his jacket, willingly, by himself. All right? And, you know, um, this story just goes to buttress the point that It isn't usually the person with the loudest voice or with the biggest outward show that can actually get the work done or that has the greatest influence in a situation. When the Bible says, for example, that a soft answer turns away wrath, I mean, powerful principles there, all right? So if you're in a marriage marriage relationship, for example, I hear it often said that, oh, um, but then, what do I do? My spouse, if I do not make a force, if I do not, if I have not thought about an issue, my spouse will not know that there's a problem. I may have said it gently once or twice, but it doesn't appear like they're listening until I shout, until I make a fuss. But you see, I'm trusting God that by the time we're done this morning, you would have found a better way. A, a way that seemeth right unto man, the Bible says, but the end thereof is death. All right? You would have found tools that will benefit your relationship, that will benefit even you as you move forward in your relationships. Amen? Amen. 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 Um, The masters argue and experience heated conflicts, but they've learned that the art of repairing and restoring interactions fast. They've learned the tool. They've learned the art of repairing interactions quickly. Amen? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26, for example, says, be angry and sin not. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. That's verse 27. All right. And if you continue on in that um, scripture reading down to verse 30, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, And evil speaking, be put far away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. All right, and I think I could simply just rest everything I want to say this morning on that scripture reading this morning. Put anger, I mean, be angry and sin not. I mean, the Bible acknowledges that there will be situations in our lives. There will be. You cannot escape it. The Bible says that in this world, there will be conflict. You will brush up against situations, against people, you know, that will just sort of anger you, rub you off the wrong way. But then what do we do with them? The Bible says, warn to him through whom it comes. You know, but what about you and I? What do we do in those situations? How do we turn those situations around for good? Amen? Amen. Hebrews 12 as well, verse 14 and 15 says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see God. It's interesting that this scripture puts pursuing peace with people and holiness together in one verse. I never could figure that out until a message um, pastor godman preached um, here i think on a previous mr and mrs better half series where he said marriage isn't supposed to make you isn't supposed to make you happy it's meant to make you holy i mean just think about it for a minute marriage isn't supposed to make you happy that isn't what god that wasn't the um, original design. I mean, it's, it's a great side effect. It's a great benefit as you go along. If you're married, you should derive happiness in your marriage relationship, but that is not the ultimate end. That is not the end of your faith in the marriage relationship. God intended for it to make you holy. So as you interact with people, as you derive joy and take joy in your friendships, in your relationships, There is a refining process that should be going on on your inside. And what happens when you mismanage or misuse or abuse the relationships in your life is that you truncate that process, that holiness-building exercise that should be going on inside you. Amen? Amen. So verse 14 again, it says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. I mean, bitterness is, I mean, it's, it's, it's a killer. It's a poisoner. Amen? Bitterness is a killer. I mean, there's so many I mean, heart conditions, heart disease, and all of that, strokes, that have been linked directly to the, negative effects of harboring ill feelings, unforgiveness, bitterness, and just allowing it to, you know, mess up your inside. All right, so we've talked, we we know, I know there's no game saying the fact that bitterness and unforgiveness is hazardous to our relationships. Amen? Amen. Okay, but the real question this morning, I think, is, okay, so how do we move forward with these relationships? How do we? I mean, I've tried. Someone may be saying this morning, there's some relationships I've tried. I mean, God knows I've tried with this person, but, I mean, what do I do? Amen. I believe you've come this morning to the right place. You've come with the right question, and that God will meet you at the point of that need in Jesus' name. So let's talk about a few repair tools, some of the tools um, we should have in our toolkits if we're looking to repair Our interactions. Amen? Number one we'll discuss this morning is forgiveness. We've seen that in the two Bible readings um, we've gone through this morning. Forgiveness is a major, major, major thing. I mean, if the Bible says that there will be strife, there will be contentions, there will be anger, the Bible is not, um, God isn't, isn't asking more of you than He knows you're able to do, He's not saying you won't be angry. He knows there will be angry moments. He he knows there will be occasions where, you know, something just trips you off the wrong way. But he's saying, be angry and sin not. Be angry, he says, and sin not. So here we are discussing the tools for dealing with anger so it does not take us to the place of sin. Amen? Amen. So forgiveness. All right, and... The one thing I really want to um, say this morning is that no matter how bad your relationships may have been with any one person or any number of people, the truth is you can develop capacity through God. God is able. I mean, someone this morning may be saying, look, but you don't even know where I've been. You don't know how bad it's been and how, how badly some people have mistreated, misused. You should have known me maybe five years ago. Someone may be saying, I was the most tender-hearted person. I was sweet. But see what life has done to me. See what people have done to me. I can't trust anyone. I can't, even, I can't even trust anyone from here to there. I mean, that's what some of our relationships and some of the things we've been through have done to us, isn't it? But I, I come to challenge someone this morning again to dare to believe that God is able to heal what you've been through, heal your heart, heal your emotions, and take you to a place of wholeness where you are able, and you have capacity to love, to forgive, and to trust. Amen, amen, amen. So dealing with forgiveness, all right? I love this quote by Martin Luther King Jr. He says, forgiveness is not an occasional act. It's a permanent attitude. I mean, I always used to say, for example, that forgiveness is a verb. It's not a noun. It's a doing word. You, 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 you do it. When you say, I have forgiven, you do it's, it's not a passive, you know, word. You just let linger at the back. If you're forgiven, you work it out with fear and with trembling. I mean, I've been in situations in life, I mean... where I'm thinking, okay, I've forgiven this person. I mean, God says to forgive, and I'm born again. I want to go to heaven. And I think, okay, I've forgiven this person, and I really think I've let it go. And I have this litmus test in my life, um, my personal life. If I can go to the place of prayer, get on my knees, and spend my entire prayer time just asking God to bless this person, Prosper this person. Every single prayer point I can think of to pray for myself, just shower it on this person. And I can do it without crying. Then I know I've crossed a Rubicon. And you see, the truth about it is that the first few times you try it with someone who has really hurt you deeply, you know, and you, you have this wound that really hasn't healed a hundred percent, the first time you try to do this, I can guarantee you that there may be a few tears. Because your natural instinct is saying, ah, oh God fire, rain down fire. But you're going against all of that and you're saying, Lord, bless this person, cause their children to prosper, cause their children's children to eat the good of the land. I mean, how do you do that without capacity from the Holy Spirit? And you can't do it really in your own strength until you've leaned into God, until you've told God that, you know what, God, I don't really understand this, but I understand that you have a purpose to this. And your wisdom is above my wisdom. Your thoughts are above my thoughts. And I just lean into you and receive grace to forgive and to move forward. Amen. 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 So forgiveness. Um, Luke 17. um, I've alluded to that scripture earlier. Luke 17 from verse 1 to 3. It says, Jesus was speaking and he said, um, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves, Jesus said. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And I'll admit to you, I'll openly admit to you this morning that I was a little, um, I, I, I stayed there for a minute when, you know, I was um, going over these notes because I thought to myself, okay, This says, if he repents, forgive him. So what happens to the people who are very unrepentant? I mean, what happens to them, really? But it's interesting that the Bible even has provision for those people. The Bible says 70 times 7, just forgive. Forgive! It says, look, live in that state of forgiveness. Now... The repentance uh, mentioned in this scripture, we'll we'll get on to that later. The repentance mentioned in this scripture, it helps sort of to move the reconciliation along faster. I mean, when you've been hurt by someone and the person does come and apologizes, it it helps, you know, in some small way, sometimes, to just heal the hurt and help you move forward quickly. But what happens when they don't? What, What happens when they don't? Are you going to live under that rock of bitterness, the truth is I've realized that forgiveness is more for you than for the person that you're forgiving. It frees you more than the person that you're forgiving. I mean, I love the story of Joyce Meyer's life. And it took a long time before her father. I mean, I don't know if everyone is familiar with her story, but she went through a, 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 a long season of abuse at the hands of her father. Sexual abuse, verbal abuse. It was terrible. You know, but she was able to reach the place where she could go and visit him in prison and forgive him. I mean, at a point, I think, buy him a house. She bought him a house. You know, not waiting for that repentance from him. So why am I making the, um, laying this foundation of forgiveness before we move on to repentance and apology this morning? I'm doing that because whether or not you see the person that you're involved in that conflict with come back and say, I'm sorry, whether or not they ever acknowledge that they were wrong or that they were in the wrong. The Bible lays the responsibility on us to forgive. Forgive. Amen? Amen. Amen. Matthew 18, as well, same thing. Jesus was talking about seven times, 70, um, 70 times seven. All right? And I really love the story he told here from Matthew, Matthew 18, from verse 22. He was telling a story about um, two men and their king. And, um, okay, we'll just read it very quickly. From verse 22, Jesus said to him, um, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Um, alluding to how many times you should forgive a person in a day. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But he was not able to pay. He was not able to pay. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. So here's someone who owes a huge debt, and there was no ability. All right? There was no ability. It says here that he was not able. It wasn't really like he was, you know, just trying to be difficult, trying to cheat him. He just was not able to pay for whatever reasons. And his master said, all right, fine. Throw him in. Um, I mean, um, sell him off, sell his family, sell his children. Maybe by the time you sell all of them, everybody his lineage. We're able to come up with some of the 10,000 talents. But um, interestingly, the servant got down on his knees in verse 26 and said, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that same servant in verse 28 went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid his hands on him and took him by the throat. How much did he owe? 10,000 talents. And here was someone owing him a hundred denarii, the Bible says. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. His servants as well fell down. His fellow servants, the Bible says, fell down on his knees and begged him. Same plea, have patience with me. I will pay. But instead, what did he do? He threw him in the dungeons. He threw him in the prison and insisted that he had to pay his debt. I won't read everything to the end of that verse, but um, if you go on down there, Um, the other fellow servants saw what had gone on and went to report him to their king that, I mean, king, see what's going on. And the king was so angry with him, called him back again and said, you know what, that debt I forgave, you're going to pay it. And this time you're going to suffer. All right. So when we say, for example, that forgiveness is not so much about the person you're letting go of, but about you. I mean, there's just this prison that unforgiveness and bitterness just locks you into. I mean, and if you can't remember anything else or any other reason to let people go or to forgive, I mean, just think about the price that Jesus paid for you and I on the cross. Reconciling us to God again. Amen? Amen. 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 We ought to forgive one another. Amen. Amen. And we ought to forgive one another and to practice forgiveness in small ways. I mean, not everything has to be a big production. we um, were talking, I'm trying to remember where we were talking, but someone, we were talking, I know I was talking with someone in the last week and she said, you know, when, when, when they were younger, her dad, you know, driving, yes, okay, on Friday, I was speaking with um, Mrs. and she said, look, um, growing up, Her dad, if his road rage raises to the power 10, if he's driving and a bus should cut in front of him in traffic, oh boy, you can guarantee that you will hear an earful. Shout, shout, abuse, and you know, and completely, they could have been driving right out of church, she said. And if a bus should cut in front of him, you forget. I mean, all the Bibles I'm sure in, in the car would have cringed to hear her dad talk. You know, not everything has to be a big production. Forgive, forgive, all right? And sometimes we wonder why we struggle with forgiving the big things. What about the little things? Build up your forgiveness muscle, amen? Build it up, build up your forgiveness muscle, amen? Amen, amen. So second tool we're discussing this morning, apology. Interestingly, um, I almost thought that apology should have come before forgiveness, but... I mean, the honest truth is, the Bible, I mean, the Bible recommends that, um, you know, um, go to your brother if he repents, forgive, and all of that, but whether or not your brother repents, the Bible still puts the onus on you to forgive, amen? That's a cardinal tool for us, for repairing relationships, amen? Amen. But tool number two, apology. I found um, in my personal life, too, that it's, Apologies, it's, we're able to receive apologies better, I think, when um, the person giving the apology has some measure of emotional investment in us. Um, let, me, let me explain what I mean. Um, let's bring it to a husband and wife relationship. All right, so if the husband and the wife are, have not been quarreling for a few days, you know, and you're already upset with each other, and then someone parks the car to block the other person, you know, and then you're up in the morning at maybe 5 or 5.30 and you want to leave to work. And, I mean, this, I mean, the thought going through, I mean, imagine that the wife, for example, um, blocked her husband's car in. And, you know, it's, it's something that you know, of course. I mean, ordinarily, on a good day, you wouldn't do that, but for whatever reason, you've blocked in um, your husband's car. And he wakes up in the morning, 5.30, I need to go to work, you've blocked me in, and you go, I'm sorry. I mean, ordinarily, if there wasn't a bad quarrel that has been coming for a few days and you were not already in that place where you were fighting, I mean, I'm sorry, you don't do it all the time, isn't it? it? It shouldn't, that should really be the end of it. But because there is one other issue, that is under, under, that you have not really thrashed out. And you're like, oh yes, you do it all the time. And you're very thoughtless. And you never, ever, you never, and then we go into the absolutes. And you never, and you're always inconsiderate. And you do not consider, and then things just begin to de- degenerate. I mean, is that not the way things happen? And sometimes it's, I mean, over things as mundane as toothpaste. Who squeezes it from the middle? And who squeezes it from the end? Or or who does not cap it? You know, things like that. I mean, I'm not saying that they're not irritating in themselves. I mean, let's be honest here. Sometimes those things really, you know. But you can be honest with me that it doesn't need to degenerate. Amen? It honestly does not need to degenerate. And I remember um, someone told me once, we were in fellowship in school. And, you know, one of the mentors we had in our in our first one. At that time, I couldn't even imagine that I would be fighting with my husband over things as silly as who caps the toothpaste. <laughs> I mean, it just shows you how naive I was, isn't it? And you know, he comes and is like, oh, that he has a, a, a couple of friends and, you know, they always fight about the toothpaste. She never caps it. And he does not like to see toothpaste sitting on the um, shelf just open. And she said, and he told us that, oh, they had fought about it many times. And this one day, he came into the bathroom and she was still there in the bathroom. She, you know, as he stepped in, you know, she just remembered, oops, I forgot to cap the toothpaste. And he walks in and she, she says, his eyes just went straight there. And she said, already she froze. I was like, okay, yes, we're going to have it out again this morning. And she says, he said, he didn't say anything on, on very uncharacteristically. He so said, he just walked up to it and capped the toothpaste and dropped, and just say a word about it. And she said, honestly, that was the last time she left the toothpaste open. That was the very last time. So what are we saying, really? Sometimes in trying to achieve, what did you want, really? You wanted your spouse to cap the toothpaste. The shouting was not working. The howling and the, you know, the windmilling was not working. But very interestingly, Just that gentle act of grace. Okay, you know what? I will do it for you today. And I will not even make you feel bad about the fact that I've done it for you today. And it did the job, amen? Didn't it do the job? It achieved, didn't it? Amen. And of course, at the time, as a teenager, I thought, ah, these very unspiritual people. I mean, (laughs) I couldn't even imagine. And then I got married, and it wasn't toothpaste, it was where to put the shoes, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and suddenly you wonder, am I really born again? Or am I fighting over these little things? But, you know, the honest truth is, the Bible says, offenses will come. I mean, can you just preach that? Help me this morning and tell your neighbor, offenses will come. Offenses will come, so you won't be surprised when it does come. Offenses will come. Amen. But what do we do with them when they come? Do we address them with grace? Do we address them as mature people? Or do we just break everything down and make sure that we break something with that relationship? Just because we, need to, we, we feel we need to fix something that morning or that afternoon. Amen? The Bible says, be angry and sin not. Of course it will get you angry. Of course it will. You know, it, it, will, it, will, uh, it will irritate you every now and again. But the Bible says be angry and sin not." It does not have to degenerate. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. All right? Um, Dealing with apology, I think I've, um, I've digressed a little bit. But right back to apology, all right? We're talking about apology. In Isaiah 59 and verse 3, it says, But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. All right? Um, sometimes these offenses and the stuff we do to one another to hurt us, I mean, it just creates this wall. It creates this barrier between us, and what apology does is it helps us to actually tear down those walls, bring down those barricades that we've constructed knowingly or unknowingly sometimes, you know, and helps us to talk freely and interact um, better. First John f- um, 1, 9, for example, says if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us for our, of our unrighteousness, all right? So apology is a key tool. The separation, the separation that comes from sin and from offense is one way that the enemy wants to keep us from deriving the best we can from our relationships, all right? So our goal in God is to get past those offenses. I mean, deal with issues if there are issues. I'm not by any means this morning preaching a message that says, just sweep things under the carpet, never confront your spouse or never confront your friend about an issue that they need to deal with. More than anything, what I'm saying is, how do we deal with those issues? I mean, just like the analogy with the sun and the north wind. How do we deal with those issues? It doesn't always have to be a big production. It doesn't have to be... Nollywood extravaganza in your house. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. And stand ready to forgive when an apology is offered. All right. And even when no apology is forthcoming, the Bible recommends that you take the initiative and go up to the person. I mean, in Matthew 11, I think it says, even if, even if you want to give an offering, you want to pray, the Bible says, leave that prayer first. Go and find this person who you are angry, the person is angry at you, you are angry at the person, or even if you think the person is angry at you, I think the Bible says, go up to the person, the Bible says, and, you know, resolve, resolve it. I mean, it's that important to God that our relationships be wholesome and beautiful. Psalm 133 says, behold how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity I mean, things just flow. It's like, it's like the oil that flows down from Aaron, it says. It flows down his beard, all the way down to the hem of his garments, And it says, there he has commanded the blessing. There's a blessing that comes from walking together in harmony. Harmoniously blending together and working together. Amen? Amen. So I'll just touch very quickly on expressions of apology. All right? Um, there's a wonderful book. In the Five Love Languages um, franchise, um, if you've read the Five Love Languages, for example, um, this is a really lovely book as well, The Five Love Languages of Apology. And I'll just touch briefly on them. I won't go into detail this morning. Please get the book if you're finding that you're struggling with apologies, an issue that you know you need help with. Number one is expressing regret. Um, some, for some people, for example, once you say, I'm sorry, that's all. I mean, they're okay. They're cool. You don't even have to go into details. I'm sorry. And it's fine. All right. But there are other people, for example, that until you really understand your, 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 your place in the conflict, you know, they, they really don't. I mean, I always used to think when, when we just got married, my husband and I, sometimes, you know, we'd have an issue and he'd come and say, okay, I'm sorry. And I'm like, yes, I, 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 I know you're sorry, but it, it doesn't feel better. I, I, I couldn't get it. I, it doesn't feel better. And until I read this book, I didn't really understand it fully. You know, and I see now that we all sort of interpret apology in different ways. I mean, there are different ways I, I see and understand that you're Sorry. And the fact that I receive and give apology in a certain way does not automatically mean that the person receiving my apology will interpret it the same way. All right? So I've spoken about two of them, saying you're sorry. I've talked about accepting responsibility, saying, look, I was wrong. I see where, I mean, with the example I gave, where the wife blocked my husband, I, I see I really shouldn't have parked my car there. All right? I, I shouldn't have, I, I see am that's the reason why we're fighting this morning. I shouldn't have parked my car there. And for some people, that's fine. That's fine. They're okay. It just I mean, the whole anger just evaporates sometimes in a puff. Um, third love language of apology, making restitution. I mean, sometimes, even if your primary love language, for example, is just verbalizing it and saying, I'm sorry, there's some depths of hurt sometimes where until the person actually comes and says, you know what, w- what can I do to make this right? What can I do to restore this relationship? You know, um, for example, my husband was giving this analogy that um, someone makes you late to work in the morning and says, I'm sorry. I mean, it doesn't change the fact that your boss is upset with you. It doesn't change the fact that you have work and deliverables on your table and they're piling up because you're late that morning. But if a person, for example, takes, makes the extra effort to say, you know what, if, I, if, if they know your boss, and calls your boss up, you know what, I, I'm sorry, it was my fault, you know, um, I, I delayed them, maybe that helps, isn't it? That, that helps. You're, you're doing something about it. You've not only taken responsibility, but you're doing something within your power to make it right. All right, so that's restitution. Um, number four is repentance, genuine repentance. Repentance means to turn away. So I have to say, you know what? Um, I see what I did wrong, and you know, I will never do that again. I will never do that again. Um, Not only do you take responsibility, not only do you want to make it better, but you determine that, you know what, I will never find, I will never put us in this position where we're having to deal with this kind of issue again. Amen? Amen. That's repentance. And number five is requesting forgiveness. Will you please forgive me? Don't assume. Don't take things for granted. Apologize but say, Will you forgive me? All don't take away the choice as it were. And I know that because we're born again, and we understand that we're both in the, house- in the household of faith. you know I will forgive you. You know, I know you know I'm born again. But give me the illusion of choice. Amen? Give me the illusion of choice. Will you please forgive me? You're asking for that grace from your friend, from your partner, from your spouse. Amen. And sometimes really that's all it takes to just do it. I mean there's seasons in you know in our marriage where I'd be so angry about something, I'd be so upset, and I would think, you know what? On this matter, it must be family meeting. And, you know, that's not that you get that angry, isn't it, about something. And, honestly, your spouse just comes and says, you know what, I've thought about the situation and I I can see where I went wrong. I, I actually see that it was my fault, I'm sorry. And, it's like this oil of healing just washes over you and you can't hold on to the anger anymore. So what am I saying this morning? I'm encouraging you to actively seek to get better. At speaking these languages, seek to understand what it is that communicates your genuine, heartfelt apology to your spouse, and seek to get better at it. Amen, amen, amen. I mean, like the Bible says, it is, it is. How then, uh, behold, how beautiful, how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. When a relationship just works, it has a way of Spreading joy to all the other interactions around them. Amen? So let us seek to actively improve and heal our relationships. And I was thinking this morning, well, not this morning, I think yesterday, about how about what do I do when I have an unapologetic spouse? What do I do when my spouse will just not apologize? My husband has spoken before about a couple he knows of where the wife said, my husband has never said I am sorry for all the years we've been married. And I think they've been married, I think 10 years plus. You lean into grace. That's the honest truth. You lean into grace. You need, I mean, with man, it cannot be done. With man, there's an extent to, you know what we can do. But it takes God to build the capacity on your inside. To continue to love the unlovable to extend grace and mercy and patience to this person as they change and as they grow and as they become all that God wants them to be and all that you pray that God will make them to be. And just in case that's you this morning, you're dealing with a really difficult relationship and you've been asking God, grace, 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 God help me, God help me, I'm, I'm at the end of my strength. I'm not a good place to be, at the end of your strength.